friends, and welcome to Annie's Pink Chair, where we bring real, raw, relevant issues to the table from a woman's perspective. You guys, I could not be more ecstatic today because we have, I, I have to just say this, a superhero that I'm about to introduce you to. This person's well-known on television, but also in the human trafficking field and rescuing children. Boz has a way of helping people to break through and stretch to new levels of greatness. He's Basel Boz, a.k.a. Boz, president of the Association for the Recovery of Children, patron saint of missing children and life coach. Boz's favorite quote from his father, it isn't what happens to you. It's what you do with what happens to you that counts, helps fuel his fire as he works with his clients to move extraordinary performance and motivation. Boz's favorite quote from his mother, keep God first, is the source from which this fuel is derived. Boz, I'm so excited that you're here today. And even though you're not physically in the studio, I love that we can talk and see each other on camera. Welcome to Annie's Pink Chair. I am so excited that you're here because when I met you, gosh, it was a couple couple months ago on Mary's show, I was like, I have to interview this guy. I could not believe what you've done over the years. Can you tell us just a little bit about, first of all, why you started the children's organization? What got you motivated to do this? Yeah, well, it's good to be here, Annie. Thank you so much. Um, 1993, um, there was an incident in Mogadishu, Somalia, as people remember it, as uh, Black Hawk Down. It was during that whole little civil war that um, I inserted with a number of CIA teams and um, to do what CIA guys do. Um, and <coughs> During those operations, we actually rescued a couple of little girls that were very much out of place. Um, they had aviator glasses, green T-shirts, blue jeans, which wow. was not part of that culture at all. Come to find out later, um, these two little girls had been abandoned by their father, who was an Italian guy. I suspect he had two families, one in Italy and maybe one in Mogadishu, Somalia. And when the war broke out, um, he abandoned them, uh, and their family was dispersed. Um, but, uh, it was, uh, we spotted them and we wrestled with the fact that, um, we couldn't actually do anything about it. They were pretty much written off as collateral damage, but, um, we wrestled with so much that night after that, um, that God made it really clear that we needed to go pick them up and save them. So we did, and we got them to an orphanage. Uh, there in Mogadishu, Somalia. And then we finally, again, reunited their mother and their younger little brother with them. Mm -hmm. Her mother had been taken to a refugee camp. When I got back to the United States, it was the first time in my career, actually the first time in my life, that I gave much consideration to what was happening to children. Um, where were they? Where did they go? I, I just thought all kids go to school. They go to high, you know, they go to school, high school, they graduate from college and they live a life. But what I found out was that at that time in 1993, that there were about 250,000 American kids missing in the United States. Wow. And my law enforcement partners told me that most of them were considered runaways. 
and that the word trafficking at that time uh, or child exploitation or child pornography um, wasn't something that they were really dealing with. They were more no. concerned about, um, you know, like more like a terrorism and crimes, you know, like car theft and murder, homicide and all that stuff. So um, I saw basically and I and I asked a lot of different law enforcement agencies what was being done about it. And I was getting the same answer, which was nothing. They had budgetary constraints. They had communication problems. Sure. So they, they, you know, the whole list. And um, so I thought there was something bigger than overthrowing small governments. And so I started the Association for the Recovery of Children um, and started out on my own, actually, on my holidays, Thanksgiving, Christmases, whatever, rescuing one kid, then another kid, then another kid. And over the course of time, uh, more tier one operators started joining me, guys that I was operating in the field with on a volunteer basis, which it still is today. And uh, we realized that, you know, children are defenseless and that they were becoming a commodity and that they were people were making a lot of money off of them. And so soon and where we are today, 2022, you know, a lot of people <laughs> are aware of trafficking. But that word in itself has become so popular, Annie, and you know this. I know, I that, know. That they don't really flinch an eye. So what it really is for our audience, it's paid child rape. That's what it is. Somebody yes. has money, they go to somebody, and they go, I want that four-year-old girl, or I want that six-year-old boy. I'm going to give you this money, and I get to have my way with them. And it's not only evil and disgusting oh. and a crime, but... Um, we're the only people, not we as an art, but yourself, people like us are the people out on the front lines trying to prevent that from occurring and with some good law enforcement partners as well. But it's still we're just barely scraping the surface, as you know. And so that's how we Absolutely. get started. That, that is so awesome. And the other thing is, I love what you said about no one really understood what, not necessarily understood, but really used the words sexual exploitation of a child or trafficking. Because in 1993, you know, it, that word trafficking really wasn't widely used, obviously. And I wanted to ask you also about your background, because how does someone just go into some random country where... People need to be rescued. Children need to be rescued without some sort of background, because obviously you have intelligence background. You have, I think, marine background. What is what is your makeup as far as how can you do this? Because you obviously we're not just going to have any random person just go, hey, I'm going to Africa or I'm going to Somalia or I'm going to uh, Afghanistan or I'm going to. Um, oh, my gosh. Kiev, right. To rescue children. Yeah that are being exploited. What kind of background does someone need to have to help with that? I'm Batman. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, Superman. <laughs> you know, I know. I wish I could say that. That'd be cool, wouldn't it? Um, you know, um, I was a Citadel graduate. I was captain in the Marine Corps. I was a counterterrorism officer. Then I was recruited by the CIA into special operations ground branch and maritime branch. Um, which as a paramilitary case officer. So wow. I received a lot of training and a lot of downrange time um, in many environments. And during that time, I was able to acquire 
um, acquire a number of people in other countries, including the United States, that also had intelligence backgrounds who had families. And so they saw the need for other children to be saved. So this is why even today we can go into a lot of countries with the assistance of a lot of those people um, uh, and actually pull off a successful operation. I will have to say that the majority of our rescues and our operations are actually here in the United States. As you know, Annie, we're the largest buyers of child porn. In the it world. It's really, really, um, yeah, we have, really disgusting. Isn't yeah, it's it? really disgusting. So the the business model of child trafficking has become very sophisticated in America and, and not only with child trafficking, but just trafficking in general. Um, and um, I don't think a lot of people are aware of this. Another thing people aren't aware of, we believe in America that we have the almighty, powerful law enforcement entity that can handle everything. If you look at what the average police officer has to do per day, just to respond to one case, that's like six hours of paperwork after that. So they're not that big. The FBI is not that big. The uh, all of the law enforcement agencies that we are hoping will do something about it they're not that big and they're not that powerful. Then you have defunding of the police, which makes them even yeah, of course. smaller. I was going to mention know, that. Yeah. How, how has that affected trafficking? Obviously, the past couple of years, it's been horrendous because there's been upticks in different areas of trafficking. So when you defund the police, when you take away funding for essential branches of the government for the police, right, and international, obviously, but then national, like the FBI, the CAA, uh, intelligence, what happens? What happens to these children? Same thing happens that's happening in Los Angeles now with the DA by the name of Gaston, who keeps letting, and the governor of California, Newsom, who keeps letting criminals out of prison. You have an escalation. You have everybody runs wild. Crime increases. They can't be touched. When you're not prosecuting, and I think you may know this, Annie, that if I'm not mistaken, correct me if I'm wrong, um, rape in Los Angeles is no longer considered a violent crime. I didn't so, know that. Yeah. And so during the Super Bowl, for instance, it's interesting, when we saw a tremendous amount of trafficking, you know, men or women or whoever it were involved in this whole criminal act, so to speak, we didn't see very many arrests at all um, on the streets. Now, it doesn't mean other operations weren't going on. They were. But you have a DA that basically has turned Los Angeles into Gotham City. No pun intended with the Batman comment I made. I mean, I I know. I know. I heard that about New York, too, obviously, and Chicago. Yeah. So um, what we're seeing is criminals now, because our judicial system is broken, because we have a large amount of liberal judges, mm-hmm. um, we're not seeing people being prosecuted. We're not seeing accountability. We're seeing people given very light sentences. You know, someone rapes a four-year-old girl. They know that they'll get seven years if that's it. And they're probably out in two, you know. And then we've got the most ridiculous cases where you see a, a, a child exploitation situation take place and someone gets 30 days you know in jail this is ridiculous and i think that terrible i I don't think i know for a fact that we're just chasing our tails 
because we don't have people in positions of authority that are willing to serve justice properly. And it, enforce you know, it. Right. And enforce it. Exactly right. Enforce the law the way the law was designed. But I I do know in Las Vegas and I'm sure in other states as well, there has been some sort of uh, advancement on prosecutions. And I I should say time given to traffickers, because I know when I first was in Las Vegas and my ex trafficker got arrested, the outcome of that, they would be charged with pimping and pandering, which back then there was no trafficking because it was the 80s and 90s. And so they didn't use words. But I remember them only facing one to two years. And now I believe it's it's um, it's gotten a little higher. I think it's 10 to 20. But that depends if they kidnap someone across state lines. Now, that's if the case gets completely prosecuted and if they're they're, you know, the witnesses are willing to testify. And so that's kind of like the crux of if someone's not willing to testify, if the state doesn't pick up the case, what happens to these children? What happens to these women or anyone that's vulnerable for trafficking? Like they have to go hide, Boz. That's what I did. That's why yeah. I think you're a hero because when you said you started the organization ARC in, two, in 1993, I literally had just left my first trafficker and I was hiding from him. And working the day shift on the strip so that he couldn't find me. And I had no idea there was people out there that were like you. In fact, back then, the vice police, they always would say to me, uh, Fallon, because that was my working name. If you're not going to roll on your pimp, we can't do anything for you. Right. Because and I would say, well, he's not my pimp. Well, we know the truth, Annie. And I would say, well, you don't know the truth. And of course, I would lie for him because mm-hmm. I knew that if I testified that obviously I would be hunted and stalked and possibly killed. And so yeah. my ex, my <sighs> first ex was a gorilla. So um, that is a very, very scary thing. And I think that the more people like me and then if people know about you, that's why I'm so glad you're here today. If they know that there's someone out there that cares, that are willing to stand for them, that are willing to go after the bad guy, so to speak, with the Batman cape. Right. <laughs> I know we love Batman, right? Because he always comes in like stealth mode, right? Like he's always, yeah. he's got the black on and he comes in with his car and he, I mean, Superman's just out there with his red cape. But um, I, I just believe that what you do is... Very inspirational. And I think that uh, if someone wants to join your team, where could they go if they wanted to volunteer for ARC? Well, we they first go to our website, which is recoveryofchildren.org, and take a look at what we do. The second thing that we require is that they take a six-day equipping course so they learn how operations are actually run. And then after that, there's a vetting period and then there has to be a slot or an operation and they have to be qualified to it. We get a lot of people that want to volunteer, but we get all types. You know, we get people that want to kick doors in. We got people that don't understand the AO, the area of operation. Right. Um, we got a lot of people with good hearts, but very much our operation, we are very much stealth mode. We're not going to roll into town with a big bus that says <laughs> Association for the Recovery of Children Command Center. It doesn't work that way in the real world that, that we come out of. But I will tell you this, Annie, is that um, at any time, and you can let your viewers know this, that they have anybody that wants to get out of trafficking and feels they need to be protected and they're willing to testify, 
between your organization and my organization, we can do that for them. We can okay. get them protection so that, but, but they've got to keep their part of the deal. You know, right. we, do, we deal a lot with survivors. We deal a lot with victims. And um, I can speak across the board with you on this. You know how many, and I know how many people stay in victim mode for many, many years. Yes. Um, we know that in that world, you're psychologically uh, diverted, to do things, exactly. manipulated. And so yeah. you manipulate when you come, cause that's all, you know, so right. uh, we always tell people that want our help. We go, look, here's the deal. You keep your part of the deal. We'll keep our part of the deal. You don't keep your part of the deal. You're on your own. And we hate to be that way, but you know, we, and believe me, trust me when I say this, we do know what victims go through and right. there's stories for other times. We, we see the worst of the worst. Um, we just, we just know, you know, we're not, we're not out here rescuing and saving people because we don't know, you know, and that doesn't mean you need to have been a victim, but you can have enough victims and survivors on your staff and you can see the horrific things that are done over since 1993 that you get a pretty good idea of what's taking place. So, um, so we're always, we're always grateful for people that want to volunteer to help but here's what's interesting i don't think people outside of our tribes so to speak really understand that this is a 24 7 yes position this yeah, isn't it's, like it's oh there's it's no traffic on the weekend so we shut right. down on friday yep it's a triage <laughs> like a hospital it never shuts down you can't a trauma unit is a trauma unit right, uh, right. i was going to say too for you know it's crazy that you say, well, I made a deal. You make it, you have to make the deal with me. Like you have to do your bargain. It's crazy because when I was being trafficked, you would never cross your trafficker over. You did what they said and you made right. a deal with them. So to me, just to say to all the survivors out there and, you know, victims that are watching this right now, you have the power to do this. Boz just said it. They have protection now. If I would have had this opportunity, Boz, I would have taken it in a heartbeat. Trust me, I would have taken it. Uh, I might have been a little stubborn, but I would have done it. Like I, I had no idea that there was someone out there that could protect us. So one other thing I wanted to ask you was, sure. and we don't have a lot of time left, but I heard a rumor that you were on a famous TV show and that you're an actor right now and that you've got stuff in the queue, projects you're working on, but the show called Blacklist for four seasons, right? Four seasons. Right, right. And you brought your expertise of what you've done and your life experience, which is really cool. And how was that experience for you? It was wonderful. I had, um, you know, it's funny. And thank you for saying that. I don't, I've never considered myself an actor, so to speak. So um, when someone offers you a role in that's very, similar to what you do in life, it, it's pretty easy to do that. And um, yeah, exactly. <laughs> the guy that actually made that show outside of the writers, John uh, Bokenkamp and those guys was a guy named Michael Watson. And Michael Watkins was the executive producer. And I think he was the savior of the show, but he was a good friend of mine. And um, he asked me to come in one day and just help some stunt guys with a scene. And I, I told him, I said, well, would you like me to bring some real guys in instead of some stunt guys? And he said, absolutely. So I had a guy coming in from Afghanistan, another guy from Iraq, just, you know, guys that we had actually been downrange with. And we shot the scene like in one or two takes. 
And then Michael called me up like two weeks later and said, you know, NBC saw you on film in the editing bay and they want to know if you want to come back and co-star on the show as the head of Red Reddington's Mercenary Army. So, of course, I thought, well, this will be a lot of fun. And I ended up on the show for four seasons and uh, had a wonderful experience with a a lot of really great people. James Spader, you know, he's he's the star of the show yep. and 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 everybody else and they were generous and nice and uh it was it was a wonderful experience and a great time and i was very grateful for that and um of course i a lot of people didn't know i had been in the industry for like about 32 years actually as a writer producer on a, a number of other things um but always keeping it under the radar a little bit because my heart's really it's for rescuing kids so um, I don't have any aspirations of being, you know, um, like my good friend, Sam Elliott, you know, movie star or somebody. Else, oh, I love know. Sam Elliott. He's the yeah. cowboy king, right? He's great. He's, love like, him he's like that yeah. look, that mustache. And yeah, so yeah, cool. Sam's great. He's uh, uh, wonderful. And but I don't have any aspirations of that. What the film industry allows me to do is pay my mortgage and go rescue kids. That's um, so that's awesome. It. Yeah, you're not so. in it. You're not in it to be like a multimillionaire, billionaire, and I need the Oscar. I mean, you're you're here no. living your life basically on the side on film too. Like this is how yeah. you live your life. Uh, one last question, sure. and I'd like to know if you could give our viewers and our listeners the best advice about life that you could dish out from all your experiences. Well couple yeah best thing you can do love two god. if you want <laughs> two love god with all your heart your mind and your soul that's going to get you through everything in this life because what you do in this life echoes in eternity and i promise everybody what i've learned over time is life is eternal and yes. the god that that put you on this earth loves you enough that he wants to do everything for you that's number one and number two never forget this one man or one woman with courage is a majority. Always. Do not look for people to follow you. Don't look for a massive army. Our forefathers didn't do it in 1776. You know, they they knew that God had established a nation and they needed to bring it together. And so there were not very many colonists. Well, if you're always waiting for somebody else to get behind you, to go rescue that kid or go start that organization, or you think, I need a thousand people. No. One man one woman with courage is always a majority. Never forget that. That That is the best advice, I swear. So I think about Jesus, of course. We talked about him earlier, but I, I just feel like if he wouldn't have done what he did, like everyone got behind him, Boz. Like yeah. it was one person that made a decision. And it's just like when you went to Somalia, you made a decision when you got back to the States, when you heard there was 250,000, which we all know now, there's way more than that, right? There, that can't yeah. be counted, the kids, right? Um, that your decision to go and do something different and actually go rescue children changed so many people's life. And I can't wait to see what that list looks like in heaven. And even now, like people coming back to say, thank you, Boz, for thinking of me, for, for, for giving your heart and having enough courage to come. By the way, what you do obviously risks your life. Like this is no, 
like easy tasks. Like you just can't go walking in somewhere and face traffickers that are gang members, guerrilla style, you know, part of a military team and pull those kids out because it takes a lot of courage and a lot of stealth. And I, I just want to thank you and commend you for doing this dangerous work and not giving up and no matter what your health does, right? And just right. staying the course. Um, how can people get in touch with you? You said your website is? www.recoveryofchildren.org. And if you need to get in touch with us, info at recoveryofchildren.com will get email to us and we can always go from there. And then also the, the other great thing, you're, you're an author. What books are available like on Amazon that people can purchase or can they go to your website? They can go to bozbooks, B-A-Z-B-O-O-K-S.com, and it'll have a list of books. The latest one we just finished uh, was called Something Bigger Than Overthrowing Small Governments. Um, it's a pretty big volume, but so far the reviews have been really outstanding. And I, I even I'm surprised because, Annie, I don't consider myself to be a writer, to be honest with you. But evidently God chose to make me one. And um, it's um, it turned out to be a really good. It's the it's a story. It's my story basically about art, how I went from the world of the clandestine service to a humanitarian guy to go rescue kids so it's quite a good journey i think it's i think it's filled full of a lot of wisdom it's not my wisdom it's god's wisdom but right. i think anybody that's interested in saving children or working in the trafficking world or anti-trafficking um it's a good it's a good book to pick up yeah it's probably a very good educational tool for them at least a segue into if they're interested and yeah. last thing, I already said last thing, but the last, last thing is when is your movie coming out for your life story? I'm sure that's next. Oh so my gosh. Make sure you make uh, that happen before you die. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see what happens. You know how that works. <laughs> Somebody has to come up to you and go, Hey, we want to do this. Um, you know what? Um, you know, God's the big producer. He sees my life and you know, if it doesn't get shown here, it'll get shown in heaven, I'm sure. But I'm not worried about that. I just, as long as I do what he asked me to do, and, you know, we, we always say this, and I would leave the audience with this, you know, saving one child may not change the world, but for that one child, their entire world changes forever. That's right. That's so good. I, yeah. I can't wait. I hope to see you in person next time. And I want you to come back, Boz. Thank you so much for coming on Annie's Pink Chair today. Uh, thank may you, God Annie. be with you. And I thank you for your service to humanity. And we'll see you next time on Annie's Pink Chair. All right, Annie. Thank you. God okay. bless you guys. Hi, friends. I want to talk about our nonprofit today. It's called Destiny House. And it's a place where ladies that have been in the sex industry, ladies that have been sex trafficked, can come and live and recover from their lifestyle. Basically, it's this, to dream, discover, develop into the perfect destiny that God has for them. It's 9 to 24 months, and we're so excited because we're actually going to be opening up our second home called Dream House. And this place is a place where ladies can come after the first program and it's more independent living where they have their jobs and their schooling that they're doing and they can become more successful when 
these ladies come, they definitely get their healing and they get a brand new start and a brand new life of promise, hope, and a great future. Please partner with us. If it's on your heart, we need to keep our houses open. You can go to pinkchair.com and click on donate and your donation is tax deductible. Thank you, everyone. <music>